Each week we've started off with this verse, and it's one of my favorite verses, so we're going to start off with it. Usually, <clears throat> anytime that the Lord uh, specifically has me teaching a series, I always say, okay, Lord, what's the verse? What's the focus? Like, where's, the, where's kind of my launching point um, for what you want me to communicate? And so I always try to start there. Why? Because that's the way the Lord started it with me. And uh, so this comes out of Proverbs 11, uh, verse 24 and 25. It says this. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and you'll lose everything. And it says, the generous will prosper. Now, we've looked at that almost every week. Is that Most people say, well, when I prosper, then I'll be generous. And yet here, what does the Bible say? The generous will prosper. Generosity foregoes prosperity in many areas. Now, you can have financial prosperity and be soulishly broke. Now, when I'm talking about prosperity, I mean spirit, soul, and real biblical abundance. And here it says that the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will, will themselves be refreshed. Other translations say that the generous will be enriched. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, but I believe... That when we lead a generous life, it actually causes the anointing of God to be, uh, become even more active in our life. And I believe that an anointing will fall upon us to do new things. You know, I'll give you a natural example in my own life of this. It's like God has called me to preach, but I can't do this in and of my own self. And if I did, it wouldn't be very good. And if I tried to do it on my own, it wouldn't be very good. I need the anointing of God for what? To actually bring into, into my ability what I can't do and of myself. Well, I believe that there is an ability, and, and, and I'll say it this way, that there's an anointing that can come upon all of us in the area of generosity. That's more than just, now I believe, yes, it, it does have to do with finances. Yes, there's an element of that, but it's not reserved to that. You know, I believe that you can be anointed in a lot of things. Not just in the ministry that we call, you know, I'm not one of the fivefold. Yeah, but you may have an anointing in your life to minister to the sick. And you may never stand behind a pulpit. But yet when you pray for people, the anointing of God and the gifts of God begin to operate. And all of a sudden what happens? There's an anointing that's present to heal the sick. Now, you know, scripturally we understand, hey, well, anybody can pray over the sick and we can see them recover. Yes, but there are gifts of healing as well that the Bible talks about. People that have a supernatural uh, anointing upon them. You know, and that's true. You know, you may even have just a, an anointing with compassion with people to where when they have problems and you're moved with compassion and you can give them wisdom in that moment of counsel and understanding. And there's an anointing that comes. You know, uh, uh, and, and so even in that, I want you to understand that as we are generous and, and, and living free and part of generosity is what? Not living for myself, not being mindful of myself, not being overly consumed with self. That's where generosity kind of starts. And so we have to know these things uh, even in the get-go. But I was uh, looking at some things, and I like this definition here because it talks about other translations of verse 24. It says, those who would live liberally, you know, would, would really expand or grow. And I like this definition of that word liberality that was used there. And it's this, it's the practice of being generous and free with even our material possessions. The practice of being generous and with our material possessions. In other words, it's not the same thing. So it's a generous mindset, a generous life is that, hey, I am now mindful of other people and what's going on in their life. And I'm moved by what they're moved by. I mean, we see that over and over and over in the life of Jesus that it says what? That he was moved with compassion. And I, you know, and this is just a personal belief because I can see it in Scripture. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, miracles started happening. I mean, it's what we see in Scripture. And so I believe this is true even for us. That, man, when, when we're moved with compassion in our hearts, just like what I was talking about, the, that anointing will come into us to what? To do something about it. And it's no longer just like, oh, well, I feel bad for them. No, I have a compassion. I mean, it's like a, a heartfelt compassion. I believe the anointing of God becomes made available in us even in those moments. Well, you know, and that even plays into us living generous lives. You know, uh, over in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35, Paul quotes um, a statement that Jesus had given that many of us have heard that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, and I believe that that principle is absolutely true. Why? Well, number one, because it's in Scripture and Scripture is infallible. It's right. And if the Word of God says it, it has to be true. Right? I mean, it's the inspired Word of God. 
Jesus himself made this statement. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and why is that? Because when you receive, what happens? That's the end of it, right? Right? I mean, like, let's practically talk about this. When you receive something, let's just say that I give Miss Margaret 100 bucks. Praise the Lord. Right? For her, that transaction is now over. Right? Why? Because she received $100. But for me, that transaction is just beginning. Why? Because I'm more blessed to give. Why? Because my giving enacts something else, which is what? Now giving will come back to me. So what was the end of her blessing is just the beginning of my blessing. And so I'm setting something in motion. And and I believe that to be true for us. But I believe even in the natural, I mean, that's a natural example. But I believe that something spiritual much more important begins to take place. Is that my heart is now being opened up to what God wants to do. You know, and so even as we're talking about these things, I believe that it's important, you know, even in the, uh, in the natural, I mean, you know, generosity totally flies in the face of our carnal nature. Right? I mean, because why? Carnal nature is all about me and protection and what I want and what I need and it's all about me, myself, and I. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the flesh. And I want to show you an example here in the next few minutes. And many of you know that I love Nehemiah. He's one of my favorite characters in Scripture to the point that I teach an entire Bible class around Nehemiah. And, um, you know, because there's just so much about him and about his story. I mean, it's 13 chapters of the Bible. It's a small little segment. But, man, I love Nehemiah for a lot of reasons. Number one, because he prays really honest prayers. He's like, Lord, just kill them. You know, may their... May their hate fall upon their heads. I mean, he's just honest. I'm like, that's my kind of prayer, you know. I can relate with Nehemiah because he's just an honest person. And, uh, but he did something great for God. And, uh, you know, and God just, I mean, and I won't go into all it, but just God used him remarkably. I mean, he was a slave that God called to go rebuild a city. That's the moral of the story. And it's just crazy. But I want to read you a part of it that as I was praying and uh, just kind of uh, seeking the Lord about uh, really what I felt was being stirred in my heart. And he reminded me of these verses. And I want to show you what generosity looks like. Because, you know, and I keep saying that generosity is not about being focused on ourselves, but I want to show you scripturally an example of this. So Nehemiah, I'll give you the backstory real quick, basically, uh, an overview of it. Nehemiah was a slave in a foreign land. He got permission from the king, crazy favor to go and do it. The king pays for it, provides to build him a house. All these crazy things happen. He gets there. There's some opposition. Nehemiah rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem, which was a, re- an, a, a reproach against them as a nation. That would be kind of just, it just would, it's an absolute disgrace because basically you can't, uh, you know, defend yourself. Think about the walls of Jericho. It was a symbol of their status, was the size of their walls. That's why it was a big deal that the walls fell because it was more than just a stone structure. It had great significant meaning in their culture. And yet Jerusalem at that time had no wall. It was completely defenseless. It had been overran hundreds of years, over hundreds of years. And people just kept invading. And, uh, and then God put it in Nehemiah's heart to go back and rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah goes. There's lots of opposition. He ends up becoming like, lack of a better term, the mayor of the city. I don't know. That's probably not exactly scripturally accurate. But they would call him the governor. But it would probably be our modern day mayor. He becomes in charge of the whole city. Um, and But he begins to talk in Nehemiah chapter 5. And I want you to hear uh, really what's going on, but also who he is. Because there, there's some keys here. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the entire uh, 12 years that I was the governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, it says, Neither I nor my officials... Um, drew our official food allowance. And our modern day translation would be this. For 12 years, none of us took a salary. That's what he's saying. We didn't take what was due to us. What was rightfully ours. Verse uh, 15, he says, The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides the 40 pieces of silver. He says, Even their assistants took advantage of the people. So, what's happening? You've got stingy people, right? Who are what? They're taking advantage of their position and laying a heavy burden upon the people. But then uh, Nehemiah comes in and says, hey, we're not even going to take a paycheck. Like, forget like just taking what belongs to us. We're not taking anything. 
But here's why, at the last part of verse 15, Nehemiah makes the statement and says, Because I feared the Lord, or because I feared God, I did not act that way. Nehemiah wasn't taking a salary or telling his people he wasn't going to take a salary. And we're going to see even more of his heart here in a few minutes. Because he was somebody special and he's like, oh, I don't need a salary. No, what he did was he understood who he was doing it for. He wasn't just there to help the people. He was there in an obedience to the call of God on his life. And he says, and I didn't act the way the previous people did. Why? Because I feared God. I mean, Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And he says, hey, because I feared the Lord, I didn't act that way. Verse 16, he says, I devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. Because that would have been part of his duties. He would have been able to just, hey, I'm the governor of this region of Judah and I have a right to have a homestead, basically. He says, look, I didn't even acquire any land. And he said, I required all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. Nobody got a free pass because of position. If you're with me, you work. I like that. I just, it's one of the reasons I like Nehemiah. Nobody got a free pass. Everybody had to be putting their hands to something. And it says in verse 17, I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 officials. I want to know how big the man's table is. Like, I'm just saying. Regularly fed 150 people. How big is this house that somebody else paid for, by the way? I mean, if you go read the story of Nehemiah, it's crazy. The king not only sent him with, you know, I, I can't, I don't have time because I would start preaching at chapter one, but I, I can't because one day I'm going to write a book on Nehemiah because I love it. And, uh, but it's just crazy. I mean, the king says, hey, I'm not only going to send you the support and the aid you need. I'm going to give you a military guard. I'm going to give you passage. I'm going to send you a resources. I'm going to build you a house and all these crazy things. So his house wasn't small, let's say that. But yet he wasn't taking a salary. Why? And this is, I'm going to say this. I believe what happened in Nehemiah 1 and the provision and the favor that Nehemiah had that we see here in chapter 5 had everything to do with his heart in chapter 1. His ability to feed all these people and to do all this stuff had nothing to do with his current circumstances. It had to do with the position of his heart in the past. And because God knew his heart, he says, I'm going to make provision because you're going to need it in the days to come. So even before Nehemiah was even aware of the need for, for provision, and God had provided for him to the point that he said, I don't even need to take a salary. I mean, could we get some people in Washington to do that, please? Yeah. That would be wonderful, right? But that's another story. So he says, Nehemiah, he says he asked for nothing, but he regularly fed 150 officials at my table besides all the visitors from other lands. He's feeding more than 150 folks. Now, I mean, I've been to some family reunions. I ain't never been to one that big. This is a whole lot of people. It says in verse 18, the provisions that I paid for. Now think about that. That he paid for. He didn't go take somebody else's goat. He didn't go take somebody else's cow. He didn't go take somebody else's chicken. The provisions that I paid for each day included each day. One ox, six sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. Now, I don't know what one cow costs in processed beef today. One cow is expensive. Not to mention six sheep or goats. And then you got chickens on top of that. He says, in every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people had already, or because the people already carried such a heavy burden. Talk about and remember why did Nehemiah do this? Because he feared the Lord. Because he feared the Lord. But Nehemiah is a very generous person, obviously. Stingy people don't feed 150 plus people regularly. I mean, he's like, my doors are open, let's have dinner. I'm going to foot the bill. I mean, you know, we, we think it's nice when somebody pays for one meal. Right. right? You know, like, man, they're a generous person. That was nice of them. What about every day? All these people, and he's paying for them. For yeah, for 12 years. I mean, I don't know how many days that is. That's a lot. It's over 3,000 days. Wow. It's probably almost somewhere between four and 5,000 days. I mean, it's crazy. And Nehemiah says, I'm not taking a paycheck. Maybe Nehemiah knew something that we needed to learn. I don't, I don't know, but 
But I love this in verse 19 because we see Nehemiah's heart here. And he prays a prayer and he says in verse 19, Remember, O God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. He wasn't looking for the people that he was serving, the people he was loving. He wasn't looking to them for what? For the blessing from his sacrifice. He, he had a focus in this. God, I'm sacrificing for you, not them. And so you will bless me, not them. Yeah. And that's important. Because if you look to people to meet your need, well, the Bible says if I give, then men are going to give unto me. Does the Bible say that? Yeah, it does. But the problem is, what have you done if your heart is not right in that moment? You have created men to be your source. Right? Well, men can't be your source. Well, they can be. It's not great, but they can be. But it's better when we realize that, hey, the Lord is my source. And so, Lord, when I walk in obedience to your word and I live a generous life and I, I live mindful of, of other people that are around me, now I, ha- I can pray like Nehemiah does. Remember, God, all that I have done, and you will bless me for it. My provision, my blessing comes from the Lord, not from anybody else. Even though the Lord may stir in you to hey, help somebody else out and do something and bless them in some way, our heart and our focus needs to stay where? Where our help can only come from. I mean, that's why you know, I've made statements like, is that your job should not be your source. Now, does your job pay your bills? Hopefully. Hopefully it does. But what do you do when you've gotten paid and you still need money for more bills? Is your job your source or is God your source? Because there's a big difference. Because you're like, well, I could work some overtime. Yeah, you could. But where is your trust? Because to to live generously, it's going to require that you have some confidence in your source. Because there's going to be times the Lord will require something of you that you're going to think, I can't do that. Now, again, we're not talking about just finances here. I'm not, we already taken up the offer. We ain't taking up another one. Don't worry about it. We're talking about living a generous life. I want people that I come in contact with to think, man, that's a generous person. I'm not looking, I mean, you know, and preachers are like the worst, by the way, about this. They're always looking for a deal. They're always wanting somebody to cut them a break. They're always, you know, quite honestly, that's embarrassing to me. I'm not going to go haggle like crazy on something. I'm going to say, what's it worth? And I'll pay a fair price, but I'm not going to nickel and dime on every little thing. I mean, I've said this before. When I call people like, you know, a plumber or somebody like that, I mean, thankfully now I've met a few people. But I would like almost not, they'd ask me what I do. And I'm like, oh, well, I just moved here. Especially if I'm on the phone. I didn't want to tell them what I did because they wouldn't come. Why? Because preachers are cheap. Not all, but many. Well, hey, I don't want to be cheap. And I don't want us to be a cheap church. I mean, we put on XO, it's an investment for us as a church, that's fine. Why? We're not going to be cheap. We're just not going to do it. If we're going to do something, we're going to do it with excellence, we're going to do it to the best of our ability, we're just not going to be cheap. Why? Because we're doing it as unto the Lord. I believe in being a good steward, I believe in all those things, but even in my personal life, I don't want to be cheap. Why? Because cheap leads to stingy. And a stingy heart is a closed off heart. I want to live an open life. I want to be generous. And I want our church to be generous and to have a spirit of generosity. I want us to have the reputation in our community that, hey, man, they help people. Doesn't mean I'm going to meet every need under the sun. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But hey, if when we have the opportunity and we have the ability and maybe even sometimes beyond our ability, we're going to trust God. We're going to say, God, this was your idea, not ours. So we need you to help. (laughs) This was your idea. Help us out. Well, that's what Nehemiah is praying. Even in light of like our community and in our, our city as a church, not just on me or a few people that maybe us as a church ought to have the mentality that God remember what we have done for this 
city. Remember what we have done for this county. Remember what we have done for this um, region of the world and bless us for it. See, even as a church, we need to think like that. God, your blessings come and you add no sorrow with it. But it's only going to come when we actually understand generosity. And just as Nehemiah has here, man, he has prayed to the Lord and says, I have done all of this, but I ask you to bless me for it. And that's where our heart has to be. See, the thing about a generous heart is that it must be cultivated. It must be formed. You're not just going to wake up one day like you're not going to get in the presence of God and just come out generous. It's a process. And I use that word cultivate on purpose. uh, You know, to define that word as this, it means to devote oneself to. In other words, you make a decision, you make a determination. I am going to be generous. That's the first step, by the way, to being generous. You got to make up your mind you're going to be generous. Now, again, it's not reserved just to finances. That's a part, but that's not all of it. But you've got to make up your mind. Do you want to be stingy? You want to be generous. Do you, want your wall, do you want your world to close in on you and get smaller and smaller and smaller? Or do you want your world to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Because the only way for it to get bigger and, and, and really be uh, experience even all of what God's blessings are for you, it's going to require a generous heart. It starts there. So it says that we have to devote ourselves to it. I like this definition as well. It was to improve the growth of by attention and by effort. Got a nasty four-letter word for you. W-O-R-K. Work. Well, I don't want to work at being generous. Sometimes you're going to have to. Because you're going to be like, man, I don't feel like being generous. And you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to help. Lord, help me get my heart right. I mean, think about it when, when Paul writes and says, God loves a cheerful giver. There's been times I've given and had to pray and ask the Lord. Lord, help my stingy heart. I want to be a happy, joyous, prompt to do it giver, but I'm not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, y'all probably never been there. But there have been some times that I'm like, just take it already. Just, I'm given, but my heart is not where it should be. I've got that begrudging heart. I want to be, I want to live in the place. I mean, it's a pleasure and a joy to give. And I'm going to touch on some things here in a little bit as we wrap up tonight about this. That will help you in this. I don't want to be stingy. But it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some attention on my part. Now, I will say this. Because I know people sometimes have these questions. Like, well, it sounds like you're just talking about prosperity and just everybody being blessed. Not necessarily. But do I believe that God wants you blessed? Yes. Does that mean that your blessing looks like everybody else's blessing? No. It doesn't. But does it mean that God has more for you than you see today? Yes. God doesn't, let me say it this way. God doesn't want people to be poor. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus was made poor so that we might become rich in him. And that's more than just finances. But even the word that we call salvation, sozo, it actually has an element of it that talks about even prosperity in the financial realm. So even part of your salvation that Jesus came to give you was part of your financial blessing. But some of you struggle with the thought that God would want to bless you. Let me just address that. That's a lie from the devil that you need to deal with. That's a limitation that the enemy has put in your head that says, but I can't. Well, God says, I did. In Jesus, God says, I did. It's a done deal. And, And so you have to address that in your thoughts, though. Even as we're doing and living generously, Proverbs 16, 2 says this, is that people may be pure in their own eyes. Everybody always thinks they're right, right? I do. That's why I do what I do, because I think that's the best thing. People may uh, be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. That's why heart matters. I can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and it's still the wrong thing. It's the right thing to do, but the Lord's looking at my heart. 
He's looking at the motives of my heart. Why is my motivation to be generous? Is my, is, you know, even in my giving, even in my uh, wanting to help other people, am I giving just solely so that I'll be blessed? Or am I giving so they will be blessed? See, there's a difference. If, let me say it this way. If my giving is solely selfish, well, I got to do this because if I don't, the Lord ain't going to bless me. Let me say it another way. God's idea of giving has really not much to do with us. Now, it's a byproduct. It, 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 blessing will come when we're generous. You don't have to think about it. Blessing will come. God opportunities will come. God's abundance will come. Yes. But even in our generosity, we ought to be focused on the why of what we're doing. That's why I say the same thing every time we receive the offering. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure most of you have probably picked up on it, but I always pray first of why we're giving. We're giving for one purpose, and that's to see the kingdom of God expanded. How does the kingdom of God expand? One person's heart at a time. That's why I give. I don't give so that blessing will come to me. I give so that blessing will go to others. And the byproduct of that is that blessing comes back to me. But the blessing coming back is not on me. That's on God. I'm not trying to make anything happen. But I understand that there is a byproduct that happens. Out of my generosity, blessings come back. And it just, it just happens. Why? Because it's the heart. The motive is what matters. Deuteronomy 5.29 says this. This is the Lord speaking about the children of Israel. It says... Oh, that they would always have hearts like this. Now, you're like, well, what is he talking about? He's about to tell you. That they might fear me and obey all of my commands. And he says, if they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. God said, man, I wish they would just keep their heart right. That's, that's my David translation of that verse. If people could just keep their heart right and do what I command them to do, they would prosper I touched on this just a moment ago, and I'll touch on it again, is that generosity works against or goes against our flesh nature. So that's why we, we must walk according to our new nature that we've received from Christ. Now, most of you know this. The Bible says we were born into sin. We were born into death, right? We were born into the old sin nature. That was B.C., right? Before Christ. Before Christ, what were we? Stingy, right? Sin-filled people. We were out for what? Our desires, our passions, what we wanted, what we needed. Why? Because our nature, and Paul even talks about that. He says, at one time, your nature was dominated by these things. Why? Because you were left to the flesh. But then Christ showed up. And we got a new nature. The Bible says we got a new heart. That old life is now dead. Amen. Now, it's not dead in the sense of dead and gone, because sometimes we've got to kill it some more, right? right that, 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 that old nature will creep up if we don't tend to it. You've got to keep the weeds out the garden. We've talked about that many times, but you've got to tend the garden. Yeah. You know what happens when you don't tend the garden? You no longer have a garden. Right. You have an overgrown mess. And it's like, well, we just got to start over. <laughs> There's nothing worth going in there and getting anymore. No, we have to walk in this new nature. That God, even when I sacrifice, I'm not looking to anybody else. You're my source. And out of your abundance, you will meet my need. And that's where my focus is. But that requires a new mindset. It does. It requires us to think differently. First John chapter 3, verse uh, 16 He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, they're not talking about just naturally laying down your physical breathing life. But what he's saying is you should sacrifice for those in the family of God. That's really what he's talking about here. He goes on in verse 17, says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion. Remember that earlier when I was talking about compassion? Has no, but shows no compassion, 
Other, other translations say this. If someone sees someone in need and has the ability to meet the need and shuts up their heart. In other words, closes down. Gets selfish. Nope. I know they got a need, but I got needs too. I just don't know what they are yet. I got to save for my rainy day. Dave Ramsey says a rainy day is coming. I need to be prepared. And I, okay, you ought to have savings. You ought to have things like that. Yes. But what if the Lord says, hey, I, I need that right now. Well, Lord, don't you know how long it took me to save this money? That's when it gets real right there. Like, oh, no, Lord. I don't know. It says, when we see someone in need, but we show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? See, generosity has everything with being motivated by the love of God. It always comes back to that. Any, any action that we do as a believer comes back to that we need to be motivated out of love. Amen. Verse 18 says, Dear children, let's not just merely say that we love each other. Let's show, it by the, uh, show the truth by our actions. It says our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we can be confident when we stand before God. He says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. It says nothing to do with the message. I'm throwing it in there anyways. Don't trust your own feelings. You might have thoughts or feelings about yourself, even if we feel guilty. Well, God wouldn't use me. Don't trust that feeling. God is greater than those feelings. Let me say it this way. God is greater than those lies. Well, you know, this is, this is as blessed as I'll ever be. Said who? Well, I guess last year was the best it was ever going to be. And now this is just going to be a tough road to toe from now on. That's a lie. And God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Most famous verse ever in all of scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. Because he loved, he gave. He said another way. Because he loved, he was generous. I mean, Jesus was perfect. Did we have to have perfection to buy us back? Now, theologically, I understand, yes. But God gave the best. He went even above and beyond. I mean, we could have just been saved from our sin, but God says, no, I want to heal your body. I want to provide for your needs. I want to, that you would walk in new life. But it's going to require that we walk in a new nature. Pastor Robert Morris in the Blessed Life book, I remembered this uh, statement that he made and I had to go look it up. But it, but it triggered, if you've never read the book, we've got some out there in the book nook or you can get it online. Uh, the Blessed Life book, and I would encourage you um, to read that if you haven't. I know we went through it, whatever, a year and a half ago or so. But he made this statement and he says, I was born selfish, but I was born again generous. And I like that. Yeah. But it's been a process for me. Just because I got saved didn't mean I was generous. No, I was pretty tight. I wouldn't, generosity is something I've had to learn. I had to walk out and let the Lord help me. And, and the Holy Spirit sometimes, come on, come on. <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't going. I ain't doing it. But the Holy Spirit's had to help me to learn how to walk that way. It's part of my new nature. Now let me give you one last couple of scriptures here. They come out of the book of Deuteronomy. And this really will help go back to the motive of why are we to be generous. In Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 12. I'll have to explain a little bit so that we're all on the same page. But it says here in verse 12. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to you to be your servant. And serves you for six years in the seventh year you must set that servant free. Now you've got to understand the culture and the day in which they lived. They didn't have money like we do. So what you would have to do is, if you, got, if you had a need, like let's just say you needed food. It's similar to what we do today, but it's, it's, the language here is different. We go to a boss, and we work, we give them our time for money, right? Right? I mean, how many of you go to work for free? Anybody? No, when I go to work, I expect a paycheck. Like, <laughs> boss, I like you, but you're no charity case. <laughs> like, I'm here for a paycheck. Well, what happened in this culture, the Jewish people would go to another Jewish person and say, I need some food. And they'd say, I've got some work. 
They use the language of selling themselves, like slavery. Right? But there were, uh, there were things put in place that God said, hey, every seven years, people are going to be freed. And then you have every 49th year was what? The year of Jubilee, where all things were forgiven, right? How many of you are familiar with these concepts? Well, he says, here, if they serve you for six years, and in the seventh year, you must set them free. Now, that sounds great and wonderful, right? God says, man, this person has come to you because they had a need, and you let them work, and you help provide for their need, but in the seventh year, you've got to let them go. Well, that seems all right. But God doesn't stop there. He actually takes it a step further. I love this. Verse 13. He says, When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Don't say, Hey, thanks for the six years of work. I appreciate it. You got something out of it. You got what we agreed to. The terms of our agreement was, You come here. You do this work. I'm going to provide this for you. God says, That's not enough. When they leave, you need to make sure they're blessed. Well, they came here to work. I helped them out. And God says, hey, make sure they don't leave empty-handed. We would say it this way. Well, they already got what they earned. You know, God never talks about earning. I don't know if you're aware of that. That language is not used in Scripture. Because that's grace, which is what? I get what I don't deserve. Well, that's what we're seeing seeing right here. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock. I mean, I've had Christmas bonuses before. I've never had a farewell bonus. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you. I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, that's kind of a unique concept that I didn't see until I saw this. I'm like, wait, they're leaving and there's a farewell bonus. I mean, maybe that's for like these corporate guys that get the, you know, they call them those, uh, what do they call The golden parachutes. Like, you're going to leave and we're going to give you $30 million as you leave. I've never got one of them. I don't know how I sign up on that list, but. But he says that you're to give him a generous farewell gift. From where? From your flock. Let me say it this way. You're to give them a generous farewell out of your own pocket. Well, dadgummit, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun. Give them a generous farewell from from your flock, from your uh, threshing floor, and from your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty or the abundance with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Oh, but Lord, I thought I earned all of this. I thought what I've done in my lifetime and and with the work of my hands and the the, the ability of my mind and the strength of my body, I thought I had earned all of this. And yet here it says, hey, remember that it's the Lord your God who blessed you. Remember who's provided for you because God always gives us what we don't deserve. In a good way. Always. I deserve hell. I deserve separation from God. And yet he says no. I say you deserve heaven. Because you were created in my image. And you weren't created for hell. You were created for heaven. You were created for relationship with me. Verse 15. It goes on. It says. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. That is. Is why I'm giving you this command. That's a powerful statement. Remember. Where you once were. That I have bought you back. Remember when I found you. Where you were. Now the Lord's not trying to put guilt on us. But he is wanting us to remember. Where did our blessing come from? It's not about my ability or my aptitude. My generosity is an overflow of God's generosity. It's really not my generosity. He's been generous to me and so I'm just letting it spill over. It wasn't mine to begin with. So if you really want to get technical about it, I'm not being generous with my stuff. I'm being generous with God's stuff. Why? Because I once was a slave to sin. I once was a slave to self. I once was a slave to to desires that I could not control. But now I've come alive unto God. 
Now I'm no longer a slave. Now I'm a son. And I live in a house of blessing. For what purpose? To be a blessing. So now I get to live generously out of what? The overflow of what God has done in my life. And you're like, well, that sounds great. My barrel's empty right now. I have no barrels overflowing. So that's great. Preacher man, that sounds awesome. Appreciate it. But what do I do when there's nothing in my barrel? How does prosperity come? The generous will prosper. How do you get something in an empty barrel? You find a seed. It might, you, you may say, I have no money. You got some time. You got some abilities. You got something that God has planted in you. He's, he's put those things in you. And as you're faithful with even those natural giftings, what's going to happen? It will enact the blessings of God in your life. When I had no money, I gave my time. Why? Because it was a seed that I was sowing. I mean, I can remember as a teenager, and I don't know why, why in the world I thought like this, but I did. I know it's from the Lord. I used to wash my parents' cars. Didn't get paid for it, by the way. Every weekend. Now, I wasn't even living for God. I'm a teenager. You know, teenagers are selfish, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that, but... And I would wax their car. Like my mom had a conversion, you know, one of them conversion bands, a little pop-up top thing. That joker. And it was, we had a red one, like burgundy red. Like probably a little darker than these chairs, like the dark red in the chairs. Well, it's fiberglass. Well, what happens? Man, that thing goes white every summer. I had to wax it like twice a year. But I can remember. And it's, it's things my parents would tell me. And man, if I'd be out there waxing that stupid van, sweating like just nobody's business, just... Trying to keep my heart right, but I'm like, that gummit, you know. But I can remember washing those cars for my parents. And I can remember making the choice. I'm honoring them right now. And Father, I thank you. One day I'm going to have a nice car too. Amen. As a 15-year-old kid who wasn't even living right, I was convinced that God would bless me if I just kept my heart right. Why? Because my mom told me all the time. Honor your father and mother and it will go well with you. I didn't know Jesus, but I knew some promises. And I had enough sense to say, God... If I'm going to do it, I'm going to get something out of it. And I'm going to trust you. I wasn't even living right. I didn't have money, but I could wash their car. I did that as a teenager. I mean, you know, there's been times in our life. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but whatever it's worth, it's worth. There's been times in our life that we didn't have anything to sow. There was no money. But we had clothes we didn't wear. And we would find somebody to give them to. I I did what I could where I was. I'm not telling you to sow something that you can't afford to sow. That's not what I'm saying. But there is something about having a generous heart. You're like, well, I don't, I don't have any, I, I don't, I, you know, I can't do anything for them. Are you good in the kitchen? Can you make a meal? And you find a, a family who maybe is going through a tough time or maybe there's a death in the family or maybe there's, and say, hey, I, I just want to be generous. Hey, can I make you dinner? Here's the best way to do this, by the way. Let me just help you. Don't call and say, hey, can I make y'all dinner? Hey, I'm going to make you dinner. What day would you like it? Like, I, you know. You tell me. You want it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What day do you want it? I'm bringing you dinner. Why? Because people are just by a lot of good Christian people don't want to put people out. Oh, no, y'all don't have to do that. People tell us that as a church all the time. I didn't ask you. I'm telling you. We're going to do this. So tell me when I'm going to do it or I'm just going to show up. One or the other. Why? That's having a, a mindset of generosity. We're going to help. We're going to do what we can do. You know, so look in your look at your abilities, even the things that you enjoy. I'll say it this way: the things that bring you joy are a key to something God has in you that He wants to use. That I would say you're even anointed to do. 
Because stuff that would stress me out, you might really enjoy. Stuff that stresses you out, I might really enjoy. Those are keys to the gifting. And I'll say this, that's a key to your blessing. When you use the gifts that God has given you, God will repay. Let me say it this way. When you use the gifts that God's given you for His purpose, He becomes the check writer. You're not looking to somebody else to write your check. No, Lord, I'm asking you to remember what I've done. I made this meal this time, and, and hey, I mean... It was tight, but we were able to, to make it happen. I didn't have enough food to feed our family, I didn't think. But like that woman with the little flask of oil and a little meal to make a pancake, she made his meal first, and what happened? She had provision through a drought. Well, this ain't enough. We're just going to go in here and eat and die. She gave first, and out of her giving came an abundance. That's Generosity. Now, that totally flies in the face to every common sense, natural thing you can figure out in your mind. But God is not logical. And it requires faith to really step into what God has for you. And it's going to take faith to be generous. It's it's going to require that. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 15 says this. It says, You must not consider it as a hardship when you release your servants. Remember that for six years they have given you services double or worth double the wages of a hired worker. And the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Let me say this another way. When somebody does you a favor, you ought to pray for God's blessing in their life. When God blesses you through something, you ought to pray for them. Lord, I thank you, man. They, they, they were used by you in this moment to help me. Now I'm going to ask you to bless them. Why? Because that comes out of a heart of what? Of gratitude. It's not, well, Lord, I deserve this. You know, I give and I do these things. and I, You know, I, I'm faithful and I do this and I do that. No. God, I don't deserve it anyways. But I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful for your blessing in my life. And I remember what it was like to be a, to be a slave to sin. And out of a heart of gratitude, God, I'm thankful for your blessings. God, I, I, I'm grateful for uh, the Really, the generosity that I'm able to walk in today. I'm grateful for the prosperity that I walk in today. But I'm not going to forget where you found me. And because of that, that keeps me from being selfish. Why? Well, because I remember who I was. And I don't want to live in that place. So here's my challenge for you tonight. And we'll be done. I want you to ask the Lord to help you. To get a generous heart. Ask the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be generous. Because look, I can't pray this prayer for you. This is not one of them prayers that, Pastor, you pray it for me. I can't do it. This isn't one of them prayers. It's just, it's just not. Lord, I recognize that I'm stingy. I, I, I recognize in my life that I'm, that I'm not very mindful of even when you want me to be generous. If you said be generous, I'd say nope. But Lord, I need to have a generous heart. And then begin to ask, God, I just thank you that you're going to give me opportunities to do what I can do in this moment. You know, I mentioned that uh, the widow woman, that the the prophet comes to her, sees her. and, And did she have the ability to go inside and make him a pancake? She did. That was all she had. She had a, I mean, she said in her words, I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. I'm going to go in here and make a pancake. Me and the boy are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's pretty dire. I've never experienced poverty at that level. I'll just never, not even remotely close. But her seed was what she had. The prophet did not ask her for something that she didn't have. He simply said, what do you have in the house? What do you have in your hands? Because what you have is enough... For a miracle. What you have is enough for God to open up out of his treasury, out of his abundance. What you have is enough for the windows of heaven to open for you. God is not asking you for something you don't have. What he is asking you for is faith for where you are. And say, God, I realize this may be where I am, but this is not where I'm staying. 
I may see a lot of lack in this moment, but I thank you by faith. I'm going to take some steps and I'm going to see an abundance. And I'm going to see you do more and greater in my life. And it's going to be started. Why? Because I choose to be generous in this moment. It's a decision that I'm making right now. I will not give into a spirit of greed. I will not allow the enemy to come into my life. I will not give into thoughts of selfishness. I refuse. I will be generous. I will think generous. I will act generous. I will not shut up my heart. I will allow compassion to flow out of me. I choose that I am generous. And I will be generous. And out of my generosity, blessings are going to flow. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. It seems totally backwards to our mind. I mean, I'm not satisfied in my own personal life. I want to do more. Why? Because there's more people to reach. I got a kingdom to build. You got a kingdom to build. We got people to reach. We got a a region to change for the glory of God. Well, we can't do that if we ain't got some ability. And God is just looking for willing people. And here's the good news. You can be willing or you can be resistant, but the choice is yours. You know, the Bible, there's a promise in last scripture. It's not even a scripture. I'm going to quote it. There's a promise in the Old Testament that says what? If you are willing and obedient. How many of you know the rest of that promise? If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. It's one thing to be willing. There's got to be that follow through. There's got to be that obedient step. All right, God, I'm willing to be used. And I ask you to bring me a generous, an opportunity to be generous. But when that moment comes, I'm making the decision now. I'm going to do it. But when you do that, what happens? The good of the land is coming. And God will provide. He's your source, not your job. You're not limited to your job if God's your source. If your job's your source, that's that's all you got. Good luck. Hopefully they like you and they'll give you raises. Maybe. But what about when God begins to do things outside of your job? And all of a sudden there's like, oh, that's my source. Oh wow, I didn't realize I didn't know how good it was when God became my source. I thought I had it pretty good with the job, but yeah, they were terrible compared to God. See, that's a different place of like, God, you're my source. And when you live in that place, I'm telling you, the blessings of God will flow in your life and you'll be a greater blessing than you've even thought possible. And God will use you in ways where you're going to be like, wow, I could have never imagined. And that is where we talk about it's more blessed to give than receive because we look and we're like, oh my gosh, look what God has done. How in the world did I get here? How in the world did God do this? I I don't even know. But it's because God's blessings will flow. And that's more than...